my name is Marielle, and I'll be your host for today's episode of Much Language Such Talk. In this episode, we're going to be talking about language and art. I'm joined today by our two very lovely expert guests, Dabrakna Futra and Marianne Jeffrey. Dabrakna Futra is a PhD candidate and graduate teaching assistant at the University of Glasgow. Her PhD research investigates the multilingual practices of contemporary artists and their implications for language pedagogy and the insights gained from researching how contemporary art engages with multilingualism to design new approaches to language learning and develop resources for teaching the Polish language in Scottish primary schools. Her recent roles include joint principal investigator of Multilingual Devised Theatre Project, leading member of the On the Border of Art and Language Teaching in the Multilingual World Organizing Committee, and fellow volunteer at the Edinburgh branch of Bilingualism Matters. Marian Jeffrey is a performer, theater maker, creative practitioner, and she is the artistic director of Theater Sans Accents, a bilingual theater company here in Edinburgh. Her work explores questions of home, identity, relationships, and communication while playing with linguistic and cultural boundaries on and off stage. She's interested in intercultural and multidisciplinary collaborations and has through the years partnered up with many leading cultural and artistic organizations such as Starcatchers, Imaginate, Lyra, Bilingualism Matters, Waitas, Institut Francais de Cause, Edinburgh Fringe Festival, and Edinburgh Council. Her recent credits include Arts in Tongues, Me Museum, Maryland, Danger Duval, Space Slash Time Adventurer, and Knots. Welcome to Brockna and Marion. Hello. Hello. <laughs> oh, it's good to be here. Um, also, apologies to anybody listening. Uh, a couple of us are feeling a little bit grody in the mouth uh, from you know, recovering from various um, mouth-related nastiness. Uh, so <laughs> let's just get right into these questions. Um, this question is actually to both of you, to Brockna and Marion. Uh, how did you get into languages? I did not have much choice, to be honest. Um, in Poland, languages, foreign languages are compulsory in primary school and in the secondary school and at the undergraduate level as well. So I started um, with um, Polish. Obviously, I lived in Poland then. In my primary school, I uh, learned Russian. Then in the secondary school, I had German, English and Latin. And when I reached the um, undergraduate level, I selected French, which was from the very beginning the language I wanted to start. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so that was me. And then I moved to the UK, where I discovered that actually all these languages they tried to teach me um, are living languages, or maybe maybe except for Latin, right? <laughs> but uh, but I, I heard all these languages around me. I had friends who, who spoke German, um, French, um, Russian. My children had friends who spoke all these languages around. So, yeah. I'm so impressed by the amount of languages that you can speak or that you have knowledge of. Like, really impressed. Well, I'm not saying that I'm fluent in all of well, them. Of I had some experience of, 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 of learning, but... That's brilliant. That's yeah, fantastic. Language <laughs> learning is language learning. You have this Aye. exposure. Marion, what about you? So I come from south of France where there's a dialect, uh, an old dialect called Occitan, and my grandparents were speaking it. Um, and so I grew up in that environment where I would hear that kind of dialect tongue. And then in in primary school, we would have 
you know, initiations to it and, and shows, um, I was, yeah, and shows with that language in it. And then a little bit later, it was English and I was absolutely fascinated with English language. I, I remember asking my older brother to translate every pop songs, you know, in English and be like, what's that mean? What's that mean? And he was so annoyed at this. I was like, oh, we can't translate it that way. Daddy, daddy, daddy. But I was absolutely yeah, intrigued and fascinated at a whole world that was right there under my eyes, but I, like in my ears, you know, but I wouldn't understand. I just needed that key to unlock that kingdom in a way. So, yes, like I, I was, English has always been um, um, a fascination kind of. And then I, and then in school, just like you, uh, Dubrovna, I, I learned other languages. Um, so Italian, Spanish, did briefly Latin as well, but wasn't good <laughs> at it. And um, and then I moved to the UK and discovered the the different accents and and regional dialects. So that was a whole new world as well. Actually, that that really takes me back. I so part of the reason why I'm doing this episode is because I was a music teacher for a while. Um, you know, I did a bunch of performances. My partner and I are both musicians and he also does like art and watercolors and all that stuff. And so we're both very invested in this idea of art and performance as a way to access things that maybe we as like native English speakers, whatever that means, like don't necessarily have the words for, even though we are living in an intercultural household. Right. And it really took me back to like, when I was in high school, I was really into Japanese rock. And then when I was like in my early 20s, I ended up moving to Japan for a little bit. And I like came back to those old songs and I was like, oh, oh, I was like, I know what, like, I knew the translation, but now I actually know the translation. Like, I actually know where like this word is. And and the idea of learning language through music and through art is just, I think, really, it's really fantastic. That actually leads to my next question is, so uh, how did art come into the language for, for both of you? So, um, you see, I studied um, Polish philology and um, I always felt that it's not enough. The language is not enough. There is something something more. Uh, so when I uh, completed uh, my master's, I decided to uh, do history of art. I studied history of art and then worked as an art educator for many, many years um, um, in Poland and um, mostly in the UK. So I, at some point I realized that combining language learning with art making uh, makes so much sense because it accentuates the role of um, a language learner as a maker, as a creator, someone who is um, actively participating and m- manipulating the language, creating something through the language. And then I read Garcia's, uh, Garcia and Lee's book, Translanguaging, Language, Bilingualism and Education, published in 2013. And that was it. At that time, I worked at the Ruskin School of Art. So um, I kept looking at the young artists developing their art skills in this um, post-disciplinary way. So you didn't have uh, students who were coming to study sculpture or were coming to study uh, painting or who were coming to study photography. It was uh, very much focused on what the actual person wanted to achieve. And I was looking at them and thinking what the language learning would look like when, if it was taught at the School of Art. 
In addition to it, I always had this great appreciation of art's ability to facilitate learning, creative thinking, and critical thinking. Mm. No, that's a fantastic. It's a beautiful, a beautiful answer. Um, you you might have seen my reaction, but I also just perked right up when you mentioned uh, Garcia and Lee. Like that book was also very transformative for me. Uh, just for the listeners, um, Ophelia Garcia and Lee Wei wrote a book on translanguaging, what it looks like in the classroom and pedagogy. And uh, I we highly recommend it. It's a very accessible book, um, even to non-academics, I think. I, I actually have a follow-up question to that. Is so, so what does that look like in primary school classrooms? Yeah, um, what I did, in fact, as part of my doctoral research, I invited children to um, get involved in art making and learn Polish through art making. Um, it was, as I said, it was part of my doctoral research. So I started from exploring artworks that were multilingual or uh, translingual, as I as I call them. So they included not only painting, sculpting, um, but also voice and text in multiple languages. And what I did was I. Uh, invited children to watch the artworks with me, explore them, discuss them, and then create something that uh, inspired them, that, 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 uh, to create something that they, um, they felt inspired to create. And because the artworks were already using Polish, it was almost natural that we were using Polish when we were working on the children's own artworks. Marion, what about you? How did you combine language and art? Yeah, so for me, it happened um, as part of my professional training. So as uh, I trained at drama school in London, I knew English back then, but it's really through acting techniques and um being on stage that I discovered a whole new side of, you know, um, speaking English and just um, becoming more aware how these new tools that I had acquired would have helped, um, you know, developing my accent or like exploring a new side of my personality as well. So what I discovered, like the parallel that I drew between language learning and drama tools was that for me, speaking English was a social performance already. I was not acting as in like faking something, but a different side of, of my personality of myself was expressing itself when I was speaking English and when I was speaking French, my native tongue. So I, after drama school, I developed these tools and techniques more and more. And I was working with um, young bilingual children in London back then uh, doing drama workshops where we would explore this and little by little a kind of method or technique emerged where language learning and drama would just be intertwined and merged and what what drama and what acting uh, enable people to do is just um especially adults I have to say it allows them to fail when they speak another language which you know when you're at school it's not necessarily accepted so creating a character or creating a safe performance space where you can use another language, therefore make you less aware of yourself, like you lose your inhibition, you lose your inhibition and, and you are more inclined to 
you know, try a new language and, and, and speak in a, in a different tongue. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a, a process where I would say a good 10 years since my drama training when I was like in my early 20s and now with setting up the company and working as such to to discover those different tools and see how arts and languages are actually strongly intertwined. And, and the more you think about it, you know, when you speak another language, your voice changes and you behave slightly differently. Sometimes you dress in a different way when you go to another country, you eat in a different way, etc. And all this is part of a kind of character building element to uh, language learning that is associated to, to drama as well. I really like what you've just what you've just said, Marion, because what I was thinking about was this um two different um types of reasons. Um the um Mike Fleming distinguished um the two reasons uh, to use art in language learning and teaching and and he said that, that there are two um types of reasons, deep and surface reasons. And uh, when you talked, you, you basically uh, talked about both of them. We usually start with surface reasons where uh, we think that art will increase enjoyment and motivation for learning. But then there are deep reasons that are coming into it that they relate to the concept of meaning and and this um, very embodied, active and integrated learning that is coming, uh, coming into life. Yeah. I really liked it. Thank you. That's that's really interesting. I, I didn't know, but and yeah, it makes. I think it makes art makes language visible in a way, regardless of what type of art. You know, music or I know the, ooh, um, <laughs> whether it's on the stage or like through arts and craft, visual arts. You know, like it makes it palpable, which is something that perhaps you you know, when you're a learner, you don't realize and it's for you, it's just like grammar or, you know, a test or vocabulary, but it's actually a sensory experience. I think language that people don't necessarily think about. So art makes that possible. Yeah. Yeah. And I was thinking actually about the way that you said that, like these, these personas that you have them create through drama, give, give people space to fail. And I think that's, that's really, really important. Even just like, that small personality switch, like, really is, is, is amazing. When I was, <laughs> so when I was living in Japan, my friends used to joke with me that when I spoke Japanese, my voice went up like three octaves because, like, the performance of femininity there is just largely different from the performance of femininity of the person that I am in English. I also know another guy, um, a friend of mine there who, when he was speaking to his Japanese coworkers, really leaned into the, oh, I'm a clumsy foreigner in a way that's like entertaining. And it was like, and it did speak to his sense of authentic self, but presented in a different culture, in a different language and presenting himself as clumsy also gave him that space to not be that good at Japanese and to not feel that pressure of being good at Japanese. And I think that like, all of this idea of performance is so applicable, even outside of, you know, a dedicated art space. Right. Absolutely. It gives, it gives that distance between your, your, your personal or private self that if you fail, you know, it's, it's not you. It's like, I would say it's your, it's your persona. Therefore it's not, it's not you. It's, it's like, you know, yeah, like an actor on stage. And funnily enough, it's, with adults especially that it works I was saying that but when I work with young children you know at primary school primary school because high school is slightly different but they'll tell you you know if you ask them do you speak any foreign languages be like yeah Spanish I speak a bit of Mandarin 
just because they know they have knowledge of, but they're not fluent, but they, they're fully confident with that knowledge. Whereas adults would be like, oh, no, no, like I'm, I'm, re- I'm really bad at it. You have the, the, the self-awareness that's straight away you downplay your skills and your your um your abilities not to not to call you out but Dubrovna you did that in the beginning <laughs> <laughs> but you see that's uh, well that's 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 because we are not creating the artworks here <laughs> But, um, you know, I wanted to add to what, uh, what Marion said that we are talking about the performance, uh, art, but we, when you look at the visual art and, um, think about the way it can facilitate, uh, language learning and create this safe space, it is on one hand what Marion just said that you are creating the persona, but at the same time, I think when you look at the figure of an artist, it kind of authorizes being not necessarily perfect, not necessarily doing things as everyone else expects you to do. And this builds, again, this feeling of of being in a safe space where whatever you do, it will be good. When you think about the contemporary art, there is no right and wrong in contemporary art. And when we uh, talk with the children about contemporary artworks, they at some point, at least this is my interpretation of it, realize that it is okay to paint a flying cow or red grass or do things that they want to do. It's, um, it's almost like um, creating art making requires the personal input it's not something that is allowed it is something that is necessary for the creation of an artwork and once this personal way of using a language of personal way of being the children's learners identities are not only accepted but demanded they become validated and uh, and it all becomes much easier because you feel that you are confident in whatever you are doing. It is okay to speak the language the way you speak. You don't have to be an ideal speaker of a language. Some that Something like an ideal speaker doesn't exist. It is okay to speak with this accent or the, another accent with this pronunciation or another pronunciation. It is your own way of doing it. And this is exactly what we want. I think, I think both like the ideas of like visual art and performance art, just hearing both of you speak, um, speak to a, a really fundamental thing about language is that it has to be both reflective and also communal. It's a participatory act, right? Where with visual art, you are expressing yourself and you are learning about yourself in that expression and in that articulation. But then also that articulation is being received by other people and is being reinterpreted by other people. And that act of sharing, I think, is really, really special. And and I guess um, if if this question doesn't apply, we can we can skip it. But how did you two meet? Have you met before? I don't think. Have we met? I don't think so. I don't think so. I know that we both participated in the 
bilingualist matters uh, festival at some point in 2018 yes i saw your name yes it's same <laughs> i was like i know that name <laughs> yeah i know <laughs> yeah yeah, it was when 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 I did the dancing through language learning project. So I so um I was the creative director on the Edinburgh Multilingual Stories Festival that was done in partnership with Bilingualism Matters, absolutely. And so I was overseeing the kind of program and and the artists and and <laughs> yes, it was a, it was a fantastic pilot. But yeah, I remember I remember your name from from there. So a while ago now, twenty eighteen, I know. Um, but yeah, like it's it's in it's crazy that we haven't met before because you work as well with bilingualism matters. So, uh, small world in Scotland, the world of languages and the arts. So, <laughs> oh, Edinburgh is so so small. I I do dance classes with um somebody, and I became friends with her. And turns out she's friends with Bernard who is also on the podcast team. Just Edinburgh is far too small. <laughs> um, Okay, so the next set of questions are individual questions just about your projects and stuff. Now, um, Marion, what is Theatre Sans Accents? Uh, Theatre Sans Accents is uh, the theatre company that I founded in 2016. Um, it's a, um, an innovative bilingual theatre company based in Edinburgh that promotes language learning through the arts to children and adults and also produces original pieces of theatre by um, diverse bilingual artists based in Scotland. So we both have a, an educational strand to our activities and a, a more artistic strand and they both kind of feed into one another in terms of outreach and community engagement um, and and the, our creative process. So Yes, um, very passionate about making sure that, you know, language learning, yes, is accessible um, to all and to kind of demystify um, the language learning process and make it fun and and multisensory. So that's that's what we do. What do you mean by multisensory? <laughs> so multisensory, yes. So multisensory in the sense that making language um visible or palpable if you want so that it's not just words on a page or or being spoken but you know just like when you create a character it needs to be in in, in theater in acting it needs to be a 3d character so this character will not only have a psychological background but it will have a, a physicality uh, it will it will behave a certain way uh, they will have their own taste and personality so it's it's that idea of language learning becomes a, it becomes a character um it becomes you know enjoyable um and uh, you can experience it through different ways using your senses <laughs> that's that sounds so like it sounds so cool and like so i i do dungeons and dragons in my spare time <laughs> right and so even as like doing role play in that in the language that is my mother tongue, I find that incredibly challenging, right? <laughs> so, like, what are what are the challenges that you've seen um, with with this project? So, the challenges I think it's overcoming the misconceptions about language learning, uh, especially with adults. With young people, it's often just showing them that there's more than meets the eye with a with language. That it's you know, the, the, especially with the one plus two scheme, for instance, in Scotland, primary school where they will do three or six months of French and then Italian, then something else, um, that it doesn't have to stay in the classroom, that, you know, why don't you do 
some cooking in Italian with your mom and you just need to know a few words and you can add some physicality to match those words and some different tones and intention behind it. So how to layer up the language learning process so that it's not just one dimensional. It's not just I need to learn my vocabulary sheet or I need to get the grammar right, um, but actually experience it in all aspects of your everyday life. That That's what I mean by demystifying the kind of language learning process and making it enjoyable, enjoyable and accessible, like make it fun. Often, you know, it's so easy within the education system. And I can understand that, you know, within the academy, academic system that it can be tedious, it can be hard. It's either you're right or you're wrong. But if you get out of that system um, and and put it in a, in a more playful framework, then suddenly it becomes a whole new world of possibilities, you know, creating stories and characters and and eating in a different language. And doing that with young people and adults. And adults is definitely more difficult because you come with traumas sometimes or stigmas or experience of failures and how society is perceiving you if you have an accent or if you don't use the right word. And I had made a show in 2017 retracing kind of my experience from, you know, going from South of France to Scotland and, and when you get lost in translation and when you make those mistakes and what happens and that failure is not necessarily the end of the journey when you do language learning. It's part of it and you need to accept it and, and have fun with it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, you know, really important. Also, I'm really glad that you talked about like the successes and what all of like what the joy looks like, the positive aspects, because that, that was actually my next question is like, what does success look like with Theatre Sans Accents, just to make sure we're not doing any like deficit model stuff, um, you know, making sure we're not just looking at like, oh, these are the bad points, these are the hard things, um, but the things that really make it joyful too. Yeah, I mean, successes look like people who are confident, people like me, young people or adults who are now confident to speak a foreign language um, and even if they make mistake and even if they have an accent they have the confidence to speak it in front of other people and to say yeah I speak a little bit of French or yeah I speak English with a strong accent and so what so that kind of acceptation and 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 being okay with that and being comfortable and confident is for me it's always my kind of um, ways to assess whether a workshop or whether a program has gone well in terms of the educational part is are the people at the end of that workshop, at the end of the course, confident enough to speak up and to create and to invent and to use their imagination in a foreign language? That's very, very important because once they've overcome that obstacle, then, you know, the, the world is their oyster. Like they can do the same in any other language. And in terms of artistic work, it's making visible underrepresented artists like myself, a migrant artist, international artists who have chosen Scotland as their home, making them more visible, giving them a space to be seen on the Scottish um, theatre scene. Um, that being Scottish is more than, you know, wearing a kilt and being part of a clan and, and all that kind of stereotypes. So Scottishness is so much more. So we need to address this in the arts, uh, at least my perspective. 
Absolutely. Yeah, I've seen a lot of push towards like multicultural Scotland and multilingual Scotland, which brings me to um, my next question. We're actually going to switch gears to Dubrovna now. Um, if you could tell us more about the Teaching Polish Through Art in Multilingual Scotland project. My pleasure. I, I love this project. It actually has its roots in my doctoral research at the University of Glasgow. We already um, mentioned it a little bit, so I'm not going to... Um, expand on it uh, much, especially that I'm very proud to say that my text uh, has just been published uh, by Multilingual Matters in Ooh. the volume entitled Liberating Language Education. It's um, I've got my chapter in this oh. absolutely amazing book and it's just been published on the 4th February. So, um, so I'm not going to talk much about it. You can all read, <laughs> read it there. But I, I just wanted to say that, um, come back to the fact that we looked at multilingual artworks with the children, discussed them, and the children are so great at observing and asking questions, making comments, very meaningful comments, meaningful to them. So um, in the classroom, we used languages that children already knew and studied. So it was it was very much translanguaging experience, translanguaging between languages, but also beyond languages into art. Um, and it was hugely important because they had the opportunity to visualize, and I'm referring here to what Marion said, uh, to visualize, negotiate, and develop their multilingual identities. It was very important to the children who already had um, some languages they learned at home, but it was equally important to the children who learned languages at school to recognize themselves as multilinguals, exactly what, what Marion said. But what I found uh, while doing my research was that Scotland is such a multilingual country. So at the time when I was running uh, my first study in a mainstream uh, school, primary school in Scotland, a total of uh, 154 languages were spoken as the main home language by pupils in publicly funded schools in Scotland. So when I was offered the opportunity to do the doctoral internship funded by Arts and Humanities Research Council via Scottish Graduate School for Arts and Humanities, I immediately thought about CELT and bilingualism matters and we uh, and I, I was welcomed at CELT. Uh, we, together with Bilingualist Matters, we developed the idea of the project where I will work with teachers from both mainstream primary schools and Saturday, uh, so-called uh, complementary Polish language teaching schools in Scotland. And it was absolutely fascinating because we invited teachers to come to the online workshops uh, we invited uh, Antonella Soracha to give a talk about bilingualism. Um, I work with uh, Karen Falls, a professional development officer at SILT. And we, so we offered some theory, but we also offered some practical activities to teachers. And then they took it all and started implementing these ideas in their own schools. So they had this period of time when they work with their own pupils, um, considering multilingual approach, translanguaging, and art-making for language teaching. 
And when we met after a few, uh, almost two months, they, they, they came up with something absolutely fascinating and absolutely amazing, the, the work they've done. So first of all, we talked about the languages they pupils used, and we had Polish, German, Slovenian, French, Gallic, Mandarin, Russian, Hungarian, Doric, Urdu, Portuguese, in such an array of, of languages. And then um, some teachers work with one class, on some uh, some with a few classes. And then we had a teacher who used the whole school approach and used digital media to uh, create an activity for children and uh, that involved their parents and families. And um, it was something that um, that basically exceeded my expectations because um, it was around the, that time when Bilingualist Matters uh, was involved in the UNESCO consultations about the future of education. And UNESCO has just published a report about it. So we looked at the report. And um, if you don't mind me, I can just read a brief excerpt because I find it really, really uh, important. And uh, so the, 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 there is this uh, paragraph that says that the increasing mobility of human beings across the world, whether through choice or forced displacement, has created new pedagogical realities that bring the cultural and racial diversity of the world directly into classrooms and educational settings. Teachers are working in new environments with students who have diverse educational histories, languages and cultures. And we looked at it and we all agreed that this is exactly what's happening also in schools in Scotland. And then we talked about art as a vehicle for introducing this multilingual approach uh, to language learning and teaching. And one of the, the, the most important aspect of it, it was that it was engaging, it was creative, but also that it was inclusive. And I think this inclusiveness was extremely important to it. So, um, yeah, I mean... I um I don't know what else I can say. I mean, um, it, it will probably um, sound as, as as a plug, but we uh, we are presenting in the Sealed and Education Scotland Knowledge Exchange event. And the teachers will talk about their projects themselves because uh, children and teachers created multilingual zines. They uh, used Chagallian approach to idioms. So they looked at uh, paintings of Chagall and uh, his biography in order to create artworks where idioms from multiple languages were depicted by children and uh, combined in such a way that they created a um, very meaningful whole. They uh, created various images, and there's an online exhibition on the SELT uh, website as well, where you can see not only what they created, but the way they recorded uh, their own comments about the work, and um, they also created language portraits, which I think is, is a kind of a very important thing to do at the very beginning of language uh, teaching, because you learn what languages children are already in contact with, what languages they use, they speak, and also they approach to languages and language learning.
I, I invite everyone to, to look at this exhibition because the artworks the children created were absolutely stunning. And, uh, and uh, I mean, I, I, I really, when I talk about it, I really feel like I'm very much touched by the, by the work, uh, both children and teachers put into it, especially in such a difficult uh, period, because we worked on it in the last quarter of 2021 and the very beginning of 2002, when, when schools were really uh, working hard to kind of survive through COVID and the pandemic. And, and still they, they found time to create such an amazing work. Yeah. When is, when is the SILT presentation? It is on the 25th of February. Okay, so this this podcast should come out before then. So we can definitely, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll spread the word on that. And how long is it? Do you know how long the exhibition is going to be up on the website? I think it will be there as long as um, SILT allows it to be there. There was no end update. Uh, we haven't agreed on any, any um, final date uh, no, it's it's fine. I mean, I'm just saying that so we can link it when the transcript comes out, when all of this, um, you know, is released and everything. I said, like, I'd love to follow along that project. There, there were a couple of things that you said that really struck me. Um, so I, I had actually I attended the conference that you did, the On the Border of Art and Language Teaching in Multilingual World. That was such a fantastic conference, and I did the whole thing, the the putting the languages in the body. Um, activity. And doing that was really, really insightful for me. The idea of like where I, where I feel things when I, when I say them and in what language I say them, um, whether or not I choose like the language of my parents that I don't speak fluently or the language that I used for like four years, just trying to navigate like bank statements in Japan, even though I'm not good, I'm not great at that either. Right. It's, It's such an easy pitfall, at least I've noticed in like academia to sort of divorce ourselves from our bodies. You know, we're a conglomeration of thoughts. We, you know, have our writing and our journals and our papers and our like little digital boxes, you know, even here with Zoom. And there's something about what uh, you had said in the UNESCO report about human bodies and, you know, needing to use your body to create art, whether that's, you know, visual art, whether it's sculptures or paintings and the fine motor skills or, um, you know, to perform, right? To have a presence and to have the posture that you want to convey, you know, the emotion that you want in the culture that you want in the language that exists there. And I think that's like a really important thing to remember that we are still housed in these meat sacks, right? <laughs> that we use to like operate and navigate the world. And um, speaking of body parts, uh, if we could go back to Marion um, and talk about arts in tongues. Mm, smooth transition. <laughs> Love this. Yes. Uh, arts in tongues. Yeah. I, I'm, I keep thinking about meat sacks now and, uh, and <laughs> how our body. No, but like, and, and I, I remember a similar experiment, like in terms of uh, with young people, you know, drawing where the language is in their bodies. I've seen that before. And I think that's, that's fascinating. And I was trying to think, where do I place French? Where do I place English? And how you, your body expresses itself differently in a different language. Um, it's, yeah, it's loads to think about. But Arts in Tongues. Yes, yeah, so Arts in Tongues is a project that was funded by the University of Edinburgh Local Community Fund last year in 21. 
in partnership with a bilingualism matters and a star catchers and my theatre company, Theatre Sans Accent. And the project was to, so it was like kind of pilot project. We created a, a mini web series of six short episodes featuring six a diverse bilingual artists living and working in Edinburgh um, and looking at their linguistic and cultural heritage through their artistic practice. So it was like kind of mini documentary slash factual program uh, exploring, first of all, the historical ties that the city of Edinburgh had with the home countries of these artists. So it was absolutely mind-blowing, actually, to do all that research part, uh, finding information like, oh, Edinburgh has, you know, this past with Iceland and this past with, you know, South America. And, and finding all those kind of little pockets of other countries in the streets of Edinburgh and then seeing it in the flesh through uh, the artists that were um, part of the programme. And it was filmed and edited by uh, Lucas Chipenkau, who's uh, an award-winning Taiwanese um, artist as well, based in Edinburgh. So it was like all this multicultural, international, creative team that got together to share their love of Scotland and Edinburgh, but through the lens of their own culture and language. And it was such an amazing project to be part of. Like, I've always wanted to do something like this because, you know, as you said Dobrokna with your quote you know yes there's uh, Scotland is so diverse so vibrant it's a, I always see it as a kind of patchwork of mosaic you know of uh, languages and identities and that it keeps changing and that is not enough reflected I think in the current in the, in the current climate in the current society and that truly deserves to to be we won an award last year uh, in November. We won the uh, Creative Edinburgh Collaboration Award, which I'm really, really proud of because it is a work of a true work of collaboration. And it wouldn't have happened, you know, without the amazing artists that we collaborated with and organization. Um, yeah, it was such a fantastic experience. And we're really trying to work hard on, on bringing it to the next level and developing it further and go and meet all the other artists present in Scotland that I've chosen. In Scotland as their home. That's such an important point that you make with this project because it's like, it's almost like you can't have diversity without diversity, right? Like Scotland is mm -hmm. diverse, but that means that there's like a diversity of experience, a diversity of histories and a diversity of connections to Scotland as well, right? Like it's easy to say like, yeah. oh yeah, I came here through like the university education system. I'm here as a student studying as an international student, right? But that means something different to me than it does to Dubrovna, than it does to any other international student. And, and these diverse connections are, are so important. These like tiny little stories that, you know, pop up and are like, hey, we're here too. Yeah. And I love you. You chose the, the word stories as well, because I mean, Scotland is famous for being a nation of storytellers, a nation of stories, you know, and it's so imprinted in, in the fabric of Scottishness, if you want. And that's what I truly love about it. It's not about trying to alienate, you know, native Scots, but, but trying to come up with that new Scottish identity that is a little bit from everywhere around the world. And they've all decided to choose Scotland for their new home, like that that country of adoption. Like I always feel like we're adopted Scots, <laughs> you know, we often feel even stronger. Like we feel like we're Scottish um, because we felt like, 
we chose it, but you are in a way chosen as well. Like I've I've always felt very accepted in Scotland and very at home straight away. And I've lived in 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 England before. I'm not gonna <laughs> say too much about this, but uh, the idea is. <laughs> I, I've always felt like home and I feel like a lot of people share this with Edinburgh and with Scotland. You fell in love with it and you feel like you belong here. And I think that's a very important element of Scottish community and, and, and being able and being allowed to be different and to be Scottish here. That makes sense. Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah. A combination of things. Mm. Um, so, Debrakna, I know you've already spoken about uh, the SILT event for next week and the exhibition that's coming up, and I'm really excited to look at uh, both of those. But uh, for both of you, what are the projects that you are working on now? Do you have anything lined up for the future that we should know about outside of that? Well, at the moment, and um, I'm kind of um, I'm worried that my supervisors may listen to it. So I must I I must say that I'm I'm focusing on finishing my doctoral dissertation. <laughs> All right. Um, so yes, so, but to be, to be completely serious, there is this kind of responsibility after running such amazing projects. I feel that I have to write about them, that I have to, uh, I have to make them visible. And being a doctoral researcher, I'm doing it through writing, uh, my, my dissertation. But also I'm thinking about several papers I want to write out of the experience of all the projects I run alongside my main doctoral research. Uh, you mentioned Polish through art. Uh, we talked about that you mentioned multilingual device theater with Marta Nitecka Barha. Um, there are also other projects we developed together about the impact of dance on language learning and um, and several uh, things that I think they sh- should be written about. Uh, so I'm very conscious that all that things that happened and knowledge that has been created, that many people invested their time and energy in, in all these projects. And uh, and although I do have a tendency to get involved in new things, almost accidentally, they just happen to me. I'm, I'm, I'm very conscious that I should focus on, on, on writing about it at the moment. However, I just got a question a couple of days ago about the Polish True Art project from England, uh, <laughs> asking if if this project could be <laughs> expanded or oh, moved wow. there. So, oh, wow. <laughs> so yes, so there are no there are no concrete plans except for for writing at the moment. But um, I'm absolutely sure that there will be a follow up, definitely, because it has to be. There are too many people. Uh, involved in in it there are two important findings and experiences arising out of it there has to be a continuation yeah i can't can't wait to see where that goes it's fantastic what about you marianne um um what about me? So I'm writing as well, but writing funding applications to uh, try to <laughs> different kind of writing. But yeah, it's like yeah, writing funding application to keep arts in tongue going forward and uh, hopefully secure money so that we can go and meet all these wonderful artists um, all around Scotland. Um, so this is very much in the pipeline as well as um, I'm writing a new play uh, looking at the lives of uh, Im- immigrant women or migrant women or international women in Scotland and uh, so this is coming up as well. So a, f- a few things here and there um, to 
to keep us busy. Uh, but as you said, um, Dobrak Knight, like we need to keep talking about it, I feel like. And I'm so grateful to have this platform today to, to be able to talk about this. And, and hopefully people will hear about it. If you have some money, please get in touch. Uh, if you are a production, a TV production company, get in touch. But yeah, I think that's paramount that, you know, we keep spreading the word and more people are aware of, you know, what amazing work we are doing and that is definitely worth doing. Um, so, yeah. Thank you. I mean, I'll keep an eye on both of these projects. I'm sure the Much Language Let's Talk team is happy to share whatever you guys send our way. Um, and that's all the questions I have for you, though. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much to Marianne and Debrockna for joining me on this episode of Much Language Such Talk. It was amazing being able to explore language and performance and art and being able to make yourself visible, make yourself audible, and make yourself present in the moment of language learning in this really amazing and special way. You can keep yourself up to date with Marion and Theatre Sans Accents on her website, uh, theatresansaccents.co.uk, or on social media at Facebook, Theatre Sans Accents, Twitter, Theatre S Accents, or Instagram, theatre.sans.accents. You can follow Dabrakna at Dabraknafutra on Twitter or on the website artandlanguagelearning.wordpress.com. For the latest updates on MLST, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at MLST underscore podcast. For a transcript of this episode and all our previous episodes, you can head on over to MLSTpodcast.com. And if you're there, please, 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 pretty please leave a review with a cherry on top, please, on our website. Again, thanks for listening. Until next time, as always, stay safe, stay healthy, and... Au revoir. Do widzenia. Bechatrewe. Oh, so sorry, this is an aside. I don't know if this is going to go in. It's probably not going to go in. I took, like one or two semesters of Russian in my undergrad, specifically because I wanted to sing Rachmaninoff because I couldn't play Rachmaninoff. My hands are too small to play Rachmaninoff, but I love his like music. So I was like, let me learn this so I can sing it and understand what I'm doing. And then it didn't take. <laughs> so small motivation there. Uh <laughs> But you see, my motivation to take one semester of Arabic was because I was looking at the artworks of Slavs and Tatars, and they had Arabic in as part of the of the of their work. So yeah, here we are. Art as motivation for language learning. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely.